0: If you would take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter nineteen Acts chapter nineteen. just finished up chapter 18 two weeks ago, and then last week uh, I had a guest speaker in here, but uh, Acts chapter nineteen, the first ten verses here, and this is a really interesting passage it's uh i I said with the baptisms i'm not going to preach very long today, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Why are you guys laughing <laughs> i don't understand. Never preach more than ten minutes, yeah. shy of an hour. Um, <laughs> uh, over and over, as I've said week after week, as we go through the book of Acts, we are seeing just some powerful things about how God is using a handful of people, and as we closed the week or the message two weeks ago, we talked about those ordinary average everyday people are no different than you and I, right? Yeah. The reality is God can take anyone who's sitting here in these chairs and use them beyond your imagination if you'll just let them. You don't have to be skilled. You don't have to have special abilities. You don't have to be good at anything. You really don't. The bottom line is God's Word has said so many times in the key passage on this, is Second Chronicles 16.9 where he says, For the eyes of God run to and fro throughout the whole earth to do one thing, to show Himself strong in Him whose heart is perfect. Or that word perfect means mature towards Him. God says if you have any spiritual, biblical maturity about you at all, you don't have to have a single skill. You don't have to have a single ability. You don't have to be good at anything All you have to do is say, hey, use me. And God will do that. So what's the excuse? i tell you what, I'm good at coming up with excuses. Anyone else good at that? I can justify, rationalize, excuse away not doing anything I want. I can find a good legitimate reason, at least in my mind, for not doing it. But my goodness, when we look at God using ordinary people, as we said two weeks ago, when you have seen what Paul was doing, I mean, Paul, for goodness sakes, if God can take a Paul and change his life around, not going to be easy. There are going to be times in Paul's life it wasn't going to be fun. I mean, I mean, can you imagine God saying of you, I'm going to show him how much great things he must suffer for my sake? Well, sign me up, right? Or Moses. Oh Moses, I want you to lead the children of Israel. But by the way, when you go to Pharaoh, he's not going to listen. Sign me up, you know. It's like, I mean, I'm going to go knowing that it's not going to work out according to my expectation. But see, that's the problem of life: is we make a life all about us rather than all about Him. So anyway, let's get into our text here in in, in uh, Acts chapter 19. Uh, Paul had traveled to the regions of Ephesus this time. You can see how he's starting his last missionary journey and he stays here almost longer. But anyway, Paul had traveled to the regions of Ephesus. And Ephesus really was an interesting place uh, as it was a very superstitious city and they were accustomed to pagan worship there in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus became famous for what was called the Ephesian letters. And we're not talking about Paul's Pauline epistles, but there was a set of letters called the Ephesian letters which were charms and spells designed to give children to the childless Wealth and access to merchants. Safety for those who are in journeys. And love for those who are looking for it. I mean, it's just an all-in-one book of charms that someone could read these charms and they could apply them to their own lives and supposedly find hope for, and, and good, good luck in everything that they were doing. So Ephesus was a very superstitious pagan city. Question. We may not have the Rochester Letters, or the New York letters. Or the California letters. Or where else you wherever else you consider it to be liberal and loose and whatever else. But question, is it any different than Paul's day? Seriously? Not really. And so Paul said, man, I, I can only imagine what Paul said, but I I believe Paul in his mind is thinking, My work's cut out for me here. You got lots to do. But historically, Ephesus was what we called a sanctuary city, if we were to use that term today. It was the home of the Temple of Diana, and criminals were allowed to gather there and find asylum and safety there. If they could just get to the temple, they were clear for at least the time period they were there. It was almost a sanctuary place uh, where they could find asylum from the deceitful works that they had done. So they were allowed to gather there. And this temple was once considered one of the seven wonders of the world. It was in this city where Paul chose to stay for nearly three years, which was longer than he stayed in any one place. It was there where where Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, which was their only hope. Now think about this. The only hope for a city that is full of pagan worship and idolatry a city that was considered a sanctuary city where criminals could gather and it was not a nice place. Their only hope was Jesus Christ. What is the only hope for those of us in the cities that we live? Jesus Christ. And if God can use ordinary people like He did in Acts 18, He can use every one of us where we live to carry out the Gospel. So I want to read verses 1-10 through and as I said, I promise I won't keep it long today. But I want... <laughs> he's still laughing. I'm either going to prove myself true or a liar. I'm not sure which. So, let's look at these ten verses here and then we'll just kind of give the draw a synopsis of what's taking place. Acts 19, 1-10. It says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? And so they said unto John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some of them were burdened, or I mean some of them, some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Here's a moment of introspection that takes place in verse 2. In fact, he asks a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Well, that's kind of a two-edged question, Right? Because God's Word reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, this is what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, right? So when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit now indwells us as His children. <clears throat> but we often talk about, as we've been talking throughout the book of Acts, there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, then there's also the filling of the Holy Spirit, right? When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're indwelled by the Spirit, but the filling of the Spirit is something else, and I really do believe that Paul is talking about the filling of the Spirit in this particular passage. So he says, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?" And someone kind of laughed when I got to the answer of this question because that was my response. I'm like, what? This is the Bible, your disciples. It says, and you don't know. And he said, and the answer is, we have not so much heard whether there is a Holy Spirit, and you're thinking to yourself, how could you not know? But here's the probably more interesting thought that provoked my mind was if you're out being a disciple of jesus and you're not being filled with the holy spirit and empowered by the holy spirit then by what are you doing your work god's Word makes it very clear apart from me apart from me, you can do what nothing not some things not most things not particular things but he says you can do nothing so a man-made work is just that it's a man-made work A Holy Spirit-empowered work is just that. It's a Holy Spirit-empowered work. And he says, we've not so much heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Isn't that an amazing answer? That Paul could be talking to somebody and they said, well, we didn't know that was a possibility. Isn't that amazing? It almost reveals the vagueness of their conversion and the uncertainty of their faith. Because if you're not working through the power of the Spirit, then what are you working through? And let me just say this, and I've said it many times in my years here. The reality is in my 20s, younger years as a believer, I didn't understand that. I mean, the bottom line is if you do A, B, you'll get C, right? I mean, you work hard, you put your time in, you do the study, well, then C is going to happen, right? A plus B equals C. And what we realize is that what you can do in your own skills, your own abilities, your own... Whatever it is that you're putting into it is going to be the result of what happens. But how many times have we heard stories of a little church out in the middle of nowhere with 12 members sending out 200 missionaries over a 30-year period? that was just one at a time, one at a time, because the Holy Spirit was working in and through them? I don't know about you, and then we see churches that run thousands that are sending absolutely no one out. What's the difference? the Holy Spirit working in and through and empowering those that are there. So he says, we've not so much heard, but it's an amazing answer. And as disciples of John the Baptist, they had heard that there was a Holy Spirit, but not until later would the Spirit baptize God's people according to what they were believing. In fact, let me just look at a couple passages in Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to jump just for a moment. Matthew chapter 3. And verse 11 says this it says I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance and remember that phrase I baptize you in water unto repentance uh, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire so what is he saying He says there is a distinction there is a difference there's a difference between being baptized with water. You see, this is a public testimony, right? You didn't see what maybe took place on the inside. That's more private, right? When they, when a person comes to the realization that they're a sinner and that they cannot save themselves and they can't forgive their own sins and, and they come to this place where they're willing to say, Jesus, I, I, I need you. I I, can't, I need repentance. I, I need to confess my sins. I need to. Re- repent and I need your forgiveness and and then to say I'm willing to crucify the old man right that's water but it paints a picture of this decision that is made but he says John understood he goes but there's one coming after me he goes he's far greater and what he's going to do is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and that's a completely different answer and he goes on and it's reiterated again in Luke uh, Luke chapter 3 and verse 16, I'm almost there. They cheat. They get up there pretty quick. 3.16 says this, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then he says it again in John 1, and 33 So he is emphasizing that they're not the same. And here's the tragedy, folks. And it is a tragedy. People will get saved, maybe even baptized, and they live their whole life satisfied that they've done what they needed to do. They may be on their way to heaven because they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But as I say often, faith without works is dead. Ephesians 2.10 says, For you are my workmanship, created created in Christ Jesus unto good works God wants you to not just be saved because for too many people you get saved then you sit soaking sour you know he doesn't want you to be a spectator he wants you to be a participant and this is not a passive life it's an active life of serving Jesus and walking in obedience to him so he wants you to be involved in the work and there's so many things we could be doing if we would just say, God, fill me with Your power. Fill me with Your Spirit. And God, just empty me of myself. And God, use me. Speak through me. Work through me. But oftentimes, we don't do it because we're looking at what we think we are able or capable of doing. The bottom line is, it's not about you. It will never be about you. It will never be about me. This sounds crazy. I know. I don't know why I'm going to say it, but I'm going to say it. I'm always not in here to say, oh, good Lord, help him." I was just thinking, what if there was like Death Sunday and you found out Saturday night pastor has gone? Got in a wicked car accident and I was ushered into eternity. Just hypothetically. Because it could happen, right? None of us has a guarantee of tomorrow. Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. But just hypothetically. Last night I got killed in a car accident. Think about that. Would this work stop? I hope to God not. I hope to God that many of you would step up not only in my absence, but also in my presence. Thank you. Because it's not about us. It's not about the Todd's. It's not about Don playing the keys or Jake on the drums or me standing up front here. Remove us from here. You should keep going forward. Because it's not about me. It's not about us. But so often we don't do things because we think we are not capable of it. And I think there was a valid question Paul was asking. Are you filled with the Spirit? Well, we didn't even know that that was a possibility. Paul, what do you mean? We're baptized unto John. So Paul goes on in verse 3, into what then were you baptized?" And they replied, we were baptized into John's baptism. And so basically, what was he saying? Well, John's baptism pointed forward to the One coming. Whereas with Christ, it pointed to the One who would come. We don't look forward to what is. We're here right now. And we, can't, we shouldn't have to wait for one day when God will use us. We should let it be letting God use us right now where we're at. I've heard so many people say one of these excuses. Well, one day when things calm down a little bit. Come on, some of you that are 70 and 80, do things calm down? I'm just asking. Because every time I think they're going to calm down, it's like it picks up with abandon, right? Right? But if you can't carve time for Jesus now, you're not going to carve time for Him later. Some people say, well, I I taught Sunday school for 20 years. It's someone else's turn. Really? Because I didn't know there was retirement from spiritual work in the Bible. I didn't know that. If there is, someone please show it to me. So often we expect someone else to do it. I've done my turn. I was faithful for so many years. So what now you get... Ching, you, you, so what? You get a medal now or what? Time serving God does not end until God calls us home. And it's, that looks differently for everybody. Not everybody's going to be up here. Not everybody's going to play an instrument. Not everybody's going to teach a science school class. I mean, not everything's going to happen inside these walls. I hope to God most of it doesn't. Most of ministry should happen outside these walls, right? Yeah. Thanks, Bill. You get it. But here's the thing. Ministry is supposed to happen outside these walls. How many agree with that? So what are you doing? There we go. See, my job, according to Ephesians 4, through 16 is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And either, A, I haven't equipped you, or you're just being flat out rebellious. I, I don't see a middle ground. I think I'm trying to train you and teach you and give you examples and send you out. But the bottom line is we have a responsibility. But John's baptism pointed forward to the One who is coming. Christian baptism points to the One who would already come. John's baptism was linked to repentance. So this is a good thing because we need to draw people to repentance, right? And that's what he says in the Gospel. He goes, I've come that they may repent. And that's a good thing. But Christian baptism also is linked to regeneration because once I walk through the baptism waters... Now I'm raised in newness of life. The old man was died. The old man was crucified. The old man is no longer. Because now that if any man be in Christ, he's in a what? new creation. And so that man is gone. I've been regenerated. I have a new life now to give to God for Him to use. John's baptism point to the promised baptism of the Spirit. Christian baptism point to the present baptism of the Spirit. We now have the Spirit that is powerfully working at work within us. And if you don't have the spirit working within you, here's the amazing thing, I thought about this. You know, they're wondering well, we have not so much heard that whether there (coughs) is a Holy Spirit. But the reality is Bill, would you mind it's right here in the front row? Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I don't know. For some reason I got like cotton stuck in my throat this morning. You know, John's you know, even after they were wondering what was going on, thanks, sir even after they were wondering what was going on, the bottom line is Paul didn't sit there and say, now here's what you've got to do to be filled with the Spirit to have His power. The bottom line is if you want it, it's there for you. And when they got it, powerful things began to start to happen. And it just goes to prove what God's Word has said over and over again. You cannot function apart from the Holy Spirit at work powerfully within you. So how did the other disciples respond? Look at verse 5. It says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not so much John, because remember, John says, I'm not the guy. I'm not that guy. I'm here to point you to the guy. In fact, I'm unworthy. Remember in this previous passage, goes you know, or in, in Corinthians, where, you know, there are people taking sides of who they, whose followers they were. Well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and Paul quickly squashes that. He says, "Wait a minute, it's not about that." Well, it's not. I'm a part of First Baptist, I'm part of Harvest Bible, or I'm part of. Squash that. The bottom line is, he says. We're all on the same team doing the work that God's called us to do. Some water, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase, right? So the w- f- switch was flipped. Also, Now they're baptized into Jesus Christ. The switch is flipped. So what happened when this flip switch took place? Three things. It says the Holy Spirit came upon them. Look at the text verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. So three things happened. First of all, they're filled with the Spirit. Not just followers of Jesus, but now they're they're pumped and primed ready to do ministry. Lasting ministry. Powerful ministry. How do I know that? Because work, God, God, God says that things were happening. They, be, they began to speak in tongues. I, I don't fully understand that whole realm. I, I grew up in a church that if you talk about the Spirit, you, you're just out there. Don't, don't do that too much. I missed out on the opportunity as a kid growing up to see the powerful work of God through the Spirit. Because we just study, pray harder, God will work. True but you can't work powerfully apart from the Holy Spirit working through you. But they said they began to speak in tongues. And here's, you know, I I don't know, I've said my my theory of tongues many times and what I believe, what I hold to. I'm not saying tongues can never happen again. I have friends in Indiana that went to the Philippines. And while they were there in the Philippines, my friend was speaking to several thousand Filipinos in the tropical areas. And they were gathered around and for an hour he was preaching. He'd say a phrase, his interpreter would say a phrase. He'd say a phrase, the interpreter would say a phrase. He'd say a phrase and back and forth for 40 minutes. And 40 minutes of interpretation. After the service was over, and many people came forward for salvation. But when it was over, a couple of men came up to him and through the interpreter said, Preacher, why did you use an interpreter? We understood you just fine. And he looked at the interpreter and he says, I don't understand what they're saying. And he's kind of shocked himself. He says, well, they said they heard everything twice because they heard you and then they heard me repeating it. I don't have an understanding for that. But I trust my friend, Dr. Kimber Kaufman. And the reality is, God used them. That happened the same thing to Dr. Champlin in the, in, in the jungles of Suriname. He'd preached through an interpreter. And after he got done, they said, Why did you use an interpreter? We understood you just fine. Tongues? I don't know. I have an idea that's what it was. They needed, it they needed to hear it twice. Sometimes we all need to hear it more than twice, right? But the reality is God uses what he's going to use to draw people to himself. All I know is when the Spirit came upon them, they began to speak in tongues. And this is then began to prophesy. Now question: I think this world has prophesying all messed up. This is not about fortune-telling. This is not about, oh, I'm going to predict that on January 14th at 30:3 a.m, X is going to happen. Prophecy in this perspective was pronouncing judgment for those who knew to do right and were still choosing to do wrong. Judgment is coming. You better change and i think we live in a day and age where we need some prophets who are going to preach to the judgment of god if things don't change but folks if you think we can just willy-nilly go through life just giving god leftovers how many love turkey leftovers i don't mind them but unfortunately that's kind of what we do to god we give him the leftovers well, I've got my work, I've got my family, I've got my job, I've got, I mean, my, my, my hobbies, I've got my, you know, TV shows that I, I'm pretty committed to every week. I've got to watch it and see what happens to Susie next week. I mean, I've got, I got all these things I have to do. And then, oh, by the way, I go to church on Sunday. So God's not the pie, He's a sliver of the pie. And oftentimes, let's admit it, a little tiny one. We need some people who are going to stand up for truth and do what's right. So those three things began to happen. The Spirit came upon them. They began to speak in tongues. They began to prophesy. The Holy Spirit changed everything when the Spirit and the power of the Spirit began to work in and through them. Now it says here in verse 9, but when some were hardened and did not believe but spoke evil of the way, and the way... way, (laughs) Is an interesting little phrase, the way. It meant those who were following Jesus. In other words, these people who had hardened hearts were speaking against those who were following Jesus, right? Is that any different than the other 18 chapters? No. Because you have to know that when you're doing what's right, Satan's not going to let it go unchallenged, right? So it says, concerning the things of the kingdom of God, uh, verse 8, but 9, it was somewhere hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. And he departed from them and withdrew the disciples. And and I think there's a time to realize that they're not of Jesus. They're not going to be of Jesus. And so he took the disciples and departed. And what happened then? He returns to what he always does. Speaking in the synagogues. Every chapter almost. And some chapters couple different synagogues. And the story is on repeat. The people the powers that be get mad. They chase him out, and he goes on. So he's doing this again in chapter nineteen, look at verse uh, eight. But he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Remember we talked about this. He wasn't beating them over the head. He was just emphatically having a dialogue, a conversation with them Concerning the truth of the kingdom of God. Down in verse ten, I'm sorry, the middle of verse nine. He departed from them, withdrew his disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus, and they, this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greek. Now, everybody in Asia at this point, this section of the geographical world here, this little section heard about Jesus. What would it take for our little world to have everyone hear about Jesus? You say, well, that's impossible. How many think that would be impossible? I don't think it would be. You know, if they were to take a small region to where everyone... I don't care, I'm a literalist. I take the Bible literally, right? If you believe the Bible, right? Believe the Bible. How many believe the Bible? Thank you. So if you believe the Bible, take it literally, it says that everyone heard. doesn't say everyone heard and got saved. It says everybody heard. Everyone had an opportunity to hear the truth of the Gospel concerning the Kingdom of Jesus Christ. They did it without Facebook. Go figure. They did it without Ma Bell. Pretty fascinating, huh? No World wide Web. No Internet. No radio towers. TV, I mean satellite. Think about it. None of those methods were used. How did they do it? I'm I'm scratching my head. How did they do it? Thank you. But that's way too easy. Come on, Mike. That's way too easy. Think about it just for a moment. The church is full of what kind of people? Yes, but saved. People who have, I mean, Ecclesia, church, called out ones, right? They're the ones who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, for the most part. What if every one of us who knew Jesus, who have put our faith and trust in Him alone for salvation, would tell someone? What if 65 of you or 75 of you in this room this morning would make a commitment that in the next couple of days I'm going to tell somebody about what Jesus has done for me. And let's just imagine for a moment that we did that every day for a week. I'm terrible at math, so I'm not even going to try to do that, but what if 70 people told 7 people? How long would it take to reach our little Asia? I can't imagine it would be forever. Forever. They did it in a couple years. So you still think it's impossible? I don't. But it starts with a focus of saying, I'll do what I need to do. It starts with saying, I don't want to worry about what, I'm abil- what my abilities, skills, talents, or the lack thereof are because they don't matter. I'm just going to start with obedience. I'm never called to control the outcome. I'm only called to obedience. God says, some plant, some water, but I give the increase. I don't have to control anything. In fact, if I try to control it, I'll probably mess it up. Talk to my wife. Talk to my kids. Most of us men are control freaks. We want to control the outcome of everything we touch, right? But this is something God says, I am in control of. Because I can't save anyone. but he spoke boldly for three months there concerning the kingdom. He reasoned daily in the school of Tyrannus for two years. And the result is all those in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus according to verse 10. Question. Who's in your Asia? I was talking to someone yesterday Says, says, man, sometimes the hardest people to talk to are those that you're closest to. Right, but aren't those the ones that you love the most? Aren't they? Aren't they the ones that you should be concerned for the most? Because those are the ones that you're blood with. Your relatives, your cousins, your uncles, your aunts, your grandparents. I mean, some of us are close to a neighbor or a friend or a coworker, but we're blood relatives with many people. Do they know that you know Jesus? Not just because you said it one time, not just because you may go to church, but because you talk about them. I'm just saying. When I, when I saw Dawn walking across campus at college, I literally saw her walking across campus. Later on that night, my mom called me. This is exactly how it happened. I said, I found the girl I'm going to marry. She goes, How are your classes going? My classes are fine, Mom, but did you hear what I said? Yeah, but we had an agreement. You said you would not get married before you're done with Bible college. I'm not getting married, Mom. I just said I found the one I'm going to marry. Married her. I just knew. But here's the deal when I found her, did I keep it a secret? No. Far from. I was talking to everybody about her. I think she's pretty good looking. By the way, bonus. A couple of our freshman classes, those mandatory classes that everyone has to take. The professor just happened to stick us in alphabetically. My name was Todd, hers was Swindle. She was behind me in every class. It was beautiful. She had a brain fart for a couple of years where she dumped me, but God worked and you know came back to reality. She's not in here to defend herself. She's downstairs. But the reality is, I didn't keep it a secret. Why? Because I loved her. I, thought, I mean, she fit the five criteria I had in my mind that God, I believe, laid on my heart to to want in a wife. And when I when she fit all five, it's like search over, done, boom, bun, done. Married her summer after college. But the reality is, I did not keep it a secret. Best thing that ever happened to me, hands down. I say, married up. Yep, that's me. Love her. She's beautiful. She's the only one I ever want. But why is it that the greatest thing that can ever happen to you is a secret to everyone around you? If you know Jesus, it shouldn't be a secret. You say, well, there's things that we don't talk about. We don't talk about our money. We don't talk about politics. We don't talk about religion. Good. Don't talk about any of those things. Talk about Jesus. Because Jesus is not religion. Religion doesn't save anybody. Relationship with Him does. And if you're that embarrassed, remember God's Word says, I didn't say it, He said it. He goes, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to also be ashamed of you. Ooh, that, uh, that hurts. Ouch. I don't want Jesus to be ashamed of me. I want to be found ready and waiting at His appearing. And help me believe that His appearing is drawing closer. Amen? So why aren't we working harder? It says many were at work as as God began to work in them. They began to be filled with the Spirit. They began to speak in tongues. They began to prophesy. Everyone in Asia heard the Gospel. Let's work on that and everybody around us hear the Gospel. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for how it's true and how it doesn't return void. Thank You for the very fact, dear Father, Lord, that it has withstood the test of time and has proved to be worthy and true. Thank You for the Holy Spirit who not only changes us but Lord empowers us to do the work that you've called us to do because Lord apart from you we can't do the work we can't even be the people you want us to be apart so I pray Father this morning that you would work in our hearts Lord to do in us Lord that what we cannot do ourselves we are so desperate for you Father and we don't even realize it how much we need you we're so accustomed to doing what we do apart from you in our own strength, and our own abilities, that we just fail to depend on You. And Paul had a good question. Are you baptized into the Holy Spirit? And Lord, many of us, if we we're to be honest with ourselves, Lord, we don't understand the difference. We've been acting so so in the flesh for so many years, Lord, that we don't even understand what it means to be filled and empowered with the Spirit. Lord God, I pray that You would fill us. Lord, I ask for it. I want that because, Lord, I don't want to operate in the flesh. I want You to be at work within me, Lord, because then the work will be lasting. So God, do a work in me. Do a work in our church. Do a work in our community, Lord, where it's evident that You are doing it. So God, speak to us. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask for a moment and may not be looking around. We'll be out of here in two minutes, but just for a moment, question. Are you filled with the Spirit? I didn't ask if you're indwelled. Many of you have made decisions where Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You put your faith and trust in Him. But daily are you being filled with the Spirit so that you can walk in obedience to Him? Daily saying, God, I need you. Fill me. Use me. Because until you do that, you're not going to be as effective as you would otherwise. And if you would be, are you allowing God to work in and through you? Are you selfishly just holding back, letting somebody else do it? Missing out on the blessings of being used of God. And can I just say it starts with salvation. That's the starting point. Not to get religion, not to join a church, not to say I'll commit to work projects. This church doesn't matter if you don't know Jesus. Giving to His work doesn't matter if you don't know Jesus. It starts with knowing Him. So maybe this morning you say, Pastor, I don't know if I do know Him. If I were to die today, I don't know that I would spend eternity in heaven, but I'm concerned. In just a moment, I'll ask you that question. If you don't know Him, I'll promise you I'll never embarrass you, I'll never call you out. I'd never do that. But if you're concerned that you don't know Jesus, you say, well, I'm just not sure, But I'm interested. Either just look at me and nod your head or put your hand in the air so I can pray for you. Anyone like that this morning? If you were to die today, you don't know that you'd spend eternity in heaven. Anyone like that this morning? Anyone at all? Then the second question then is this. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you to reach those around you? To be a picture of Jesus to a world that needs to see Him? Say, Pastor, that's me. I, I could do a better job. I need the Spirit's power, filling. I need to get outside of myself and say, God, use me. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Would you Yes. Yes. So can I challenge those of you that just lifted up your hands right now? Would can I challenge you just to just just in this moment to pray and say, God, fill me. Use me. Open up doors of opportunity so that I can share Jesus. Because you can't do it apart from Him. And if you're doing it in your flesh and you're doing it in your own power and your own abilities, your own wisdom, that's exactly going to be the result, yours. We want God's results. Lasting results. Can I challenge you just in a moment. Just just pray. Say, God, help me. God, use me. God, fill me. And forgive me. Because remember, James says to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. So God, forgive me for not doing what I should be doing. God, I repent of my laziness. I repent of my lack of telling others. God, I repent of being selfish with my time. Forgive me. Let's all stand to our feet. Lord Jesus, we thank You. For how you do work in hearts and lives, Lord, all around out touring, Lord, many people acknowledging, Lord, many of us in the same boat. We do so much of what we do in our own flesh, rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. God, we pray that we would have Holy Spirit results, not our own sinful, fleshly results. So, God, do a work in us, Lord, that we cannot do ourselves. Lord, be with each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning. And I ask, your Father, Lord, that You would change us from the inside out. And we'll give You the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.